0: I have so many questions when it comes to the selection. Where about you, Heather?
1: Some of our podcast listeners have also sent in questions to us. Yeah, uh, it's
0: quite, quite good. So anyway, this is Welcome to Voter Talk Question Time podcast, episode number 10, where we answer the questions that have been sent in uh, from the audience. I'm Heather Roy. And I'm Simon ewing jarvie Welcome to Voter Talk. Mr Speaker. And that is the question uh, we're starting with that we haven't actually mentioned the Speaker, we've got a voter from Tito Taitokoro who said we haven't actually mentioned the Speaker in any of our podcasts, so what's their role, how are they selected or elected, is it part of the election process that voters can be engaged in, etc. The big chair up the front with the white sheepskin on, Heather, tell us all about it.
1: That's right, so the Speaker uh, is an elected MP uh, but the public don't actually select the Speaker for Parliament for the next three years. Once the results are in and Parliament reconvenes, one of the first things that happens is the Speaker is elected by the 120 MPs uh, of the new Parliament. Right. It's usually somebody from uh, a senior MP from the government side, but it doesn't have to be. There was one recent example where that wasn't the case. Um, But the Speaker, Speaker's role is essentially to run Parliament.
0: Right, so they're like the chairman of the meeting. They
1: are. They have several aspects to their job. The most visible one is that in Parliament, when the Speaker uh, is basically the referee at question time. He Mm. runs the proceedings. He or she runs the proceedings. Uh, They're part of all of the parliamentary debate, including the passing of all the legislation. And they also have an administrative role. Uh, They welcome international visitors to Parliament and they also are responsible for all the committees that run Parliament itself, the the behind-the-scenes running of Parliament.
0: Right, so they're sort of running parliamentary services behind the scenes as well? Yeah,
1: they're the leader of those, chief executive if you like.
0: Right, when someone's um, selected at the start of a parliament, they often appear quite reluctant to go <laughs> up the front and leave their chair, and one of their colleagues seems to take them by the arm. And, and drag them drag forward. Them. What's the history that, of that? That's a big, that's a traditional thing. I think it was also, the reluctance was about, they they were the one that used to be the conduit for um, decisions of the parliament to the to the crown and uh, off with your head might have been the result if you That's took the wrong right. message yeah. It wasn't
1: a popular, a popular role in those days
0: Righty-ho, who have we got? We've got a voter from New Plymouth
1: Yes, and he has asked Is Parliament better off having a couple of big parties and just a few smaller parties or should voters be really worried that some of our minor parties might not be back in Parliament after this particular election? That's a very good question, and one that we addressed a little bit as part of our discussion about MMP. What do you think, Simon?
0: Uh, Well, I think they're right to be worried that some of the minor parties may not be back, or um, minor parties struggle to get in, and um, a whole lot of things um, lead us to look back in history. When we had First Past the Post, we had national... Essentially, two big parties. Two big parties, Mm. and a crazy system... Oh, Social Credit got a couple of seats at one point, uh, but crazy system where you know someone could win all the electorates there was no party vote back then it was just a single tick and um, so you were often stuck with a minority government for years and years and years that's, that's hardly right. democracy and it
1: was no and it was very much it's our turn now and your turn next whereas the MMP environment has bought as we've talked already about in other podcasts much better representation and the reason I like MMP is becomes it really does become a contest of ideas you get uh, the smaller parties bring ideas that's the big parties often don't think about on the periphery
0: yeah and i remember uh, richard preble asked him one day why he joined labor you know when this is when he was leading act mm-hmm. and i asked him why he entered politics and labor and he said in his day um you only had the two choices national and labor basically unless you were you know in the fringe and never getting in and um he said national stood for Conservatism, basically the status quo, keeping everything the same. So, if you had ideas that you wanted to implement, Labour was your only path, and that's how he yeah. travelled into it. And sorts.
1: that's still largely true. When you see, look at even under MMP, Labour led governments and national led governments, national doesn't often reverse the changes that have been made, and it tends to be uh, the Labour governments and the recent Labour governments that have, have signalled change. And the best example of that, of course, is the 1984 change from Muldoon to Longy. Preble and Douglas.
0: Mm, right. What have we got next?
1: Uh, the next question is from a Christchurch voter, and she's asked, Why do media focus so much on polling? Um, Polls, to my mind, she says, suggest to voters who they should vote for. It brings into question the wasted vote and completely ignores policy, which she believes is the only thing people should be voting for.
0: Well, uh, she's absolutely right on the last bit, but unfortunately... For a variety of reasons, a lot of people don't spend a lot of time researching. We've developed this presidential-style, TV-style um, campaign um, in New Zealand where you're just looking at the, the two leaders and popularity stakes, which I think have absolutely you know, no place in the uh, decision-making for voters. Yeah. Um,
1: I think this question is actually much more about the influence that the polls might have on people. Yeah, true. And I think that the polls do influence the way in which people vote. It does talk to the, the wasted vote that we talked about in the previous podcast. Uh, I think that when voters see that the minor parties particularly are perhaps going to struggle to get to 5%, they will change their mind to voting for a party that they might feel a lot of alignment with to one of the bigger parties so that their side, if you like, uh, is, is the one that's elected rather than the party that they really want. So I think the polls do have the danger of being quite influential on and te- and moving people away, veering them away from a party that they would rather vote for.
0: Yeah, the reporting is snapshot uh, reporting, very little in the way of trend reporting and most people haven't done a statistics that's right. uh, so, paper since you know maybe a little bit at school.
1: That's right. So if you're going to pay any attention to any polls, I think it is much better to look at the poll of polls and average them out. But my advice would be, and this is advice from that I've been giving for a very long time now is vote for the party that you really believe in so that we get true representation in our parliament.
0: Yeah, there's another couple of things I just want to add to that, somewhat cynically but true, of online sites is that if something's free, it means you're the product. And so if you go to a website that is offering free news, for instance, and that means that someone's paying, someone else is paying for it and that someone else is an advertiser. Their job is to keep you on that website for as long as possible, clicking on as many links as possible, and the sensationalism that builds around polling helps them do that. Now, my Right Honourable colleague to the left.
1: Uh, Well thank you very much for the promotion, but it's completely unfounded. Um, As a Minister in a Government, I uh, have the title of Honourable, but not Right Honourable.
0: Well we've got a voter from Epsom who's confused, what's the difference?
1: There is quite a lot of confusion about that, people aren't quite sure which to use. the difference is on the people who have Honourable uh, as their title uh, people who have been Ministers in the Government or they are judges from the High Court, the Appeals Court and the Supreme Court.
0: Right. It, it all sort of changed about 2010 but before that if you were a Right Honourable you were a member of the Privy Council. We've got our own Supreme Court now. Um, It was going to be written out of the script and it was actually the Queen that wrote to the Prime Minister and said Well, you know, I'd like to keep this uh, Right Honourable title, but only for key positions So it's it's the the Governor-General, the Speaker, the The Prime Prime Minister Minister, and the um, Chief Justice
1: That's right, so those people now are Right Honourables You have to have had those uh, jobs to to hold that title So our current Prime Minister is the Right Honourable They keep that for life, eh? They do keep that for life uh, those people who have honourable don't necessarily keep that for life. That can be taken from you, but at the recommendation of the prime minister to the governor general, when you leave parliament, uh, that uh, that allows you to continue using
0: the title. Right. Hmm. Great, so when they're talking about my honourable friend or my honourable member, that's just that's nothing, actually. It's that's not a title, hmm.
1: it's being used as a, a politeness, yeah, right. yes. And a, a lot of that information can be found on another very good website that we haven't talked about to date, and that's the Parliament website. So if you go to parliament.nz, you'll find all sorts of things. It talks a bit about the his, history and the honourable versus right honourable issue is there, but it also also talks about what happens in Parliament, and you can go to select committees, you can see the legislation winding its way through the house. Great place to go if you want to just trawl through and see all the things that do happen Mm. and you'll be surprised at the breadth of some of the things that the public don't have visibility of a lot of those.
0: Heather, it's your turn for a political quote.
1: Yes, it is my turn for a political quote. Mine today is a quote from John Adams and it sums up really, I think really well the civics type issues that our podcasts have focused on to date. So the quote is this, Government is instituted for the common good, for the protection, the safety, prosperity and happiness of the people and not for the profit, honour, or private interest of any one man, family, or class of men.
0: I'd argue with that. Okay, well that's it from us today. If you would like to uh, send us your questions to cover in future podcasts, please get get onto the contacts page at our website, talkpoint.co.nz, that's T-O-R-Q-U-E point, and uh, you can also find us on social media, uh, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, and so on. I'm Simon Ewing-Jarvey. And I'm Heather Roy. Talk to you later.